Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Episode number 127 of Gun Freedom Radio. Why do you do that? What? Every time we start the show, you remind me how old I am. <laughs> well, no, it's a it's a new milestone. It's an accomplishment. I'm right? tired. You're tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, if everybody understood that, you know, you have multiple, multiple jobs, they would understand that you are in well in rights to say you're tired. You got the gun store, you got the auction house, you help me with the radio show. So no, you could have a nap. Go have a nap. I got the show today. I already am right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're sleep talking? All right. Episode number 127 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, we have naps, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We have a great show today. Our theme is One Generation Away. One Generation Away. Well, as you know, we begin each one of our radio shows with a quote by President Ronald Reagan in which he cautions us that our values, our rights, and our freedoms are only and always just one generation away from extinction. We can clearly hear his warning that everything we hold dear can and will evaporate if we aren't diligent in each generation. But what exactly does he mean by a generation? We hear that term used a lot, but what or who is a generation? I conducted a quick Google search, but that didn't really clear things up as there doesn't seem to be any one universal definition. A generation can be a span of time lasting anywhere from 12 to 30 years long. The word generation can also refer to a common set of ideals and cultural norms or even to a time of shared expansion or failures in technological realms or even geopolitical turmoil. And looking at any of these definitions seems to indicate a collective or communal idea, kind of an everyone but no one diffusing of individuality. By contrast, I believe that President Reagan used the word generation very differently. I believe he was personalizing it. I believe he was helping you and I see and understand that you and I are the generation he is talking to. And we are the bridge connecting the past with the future. Each of us 
in our personal lives have opportunities to expand our knowledge and pass that knowledge forward. We are where we are because of the work done by our great great grandparents and we bear the responsibility to invest time and energy in learning that knowledge and truth then to form that knowledge into the the bricks that we use to build the bridge for our future generations to cross so that they too can do the same in their lifetime each bridge must be placed on solid foundation that was firmly formed from the work of our forefathers and our founding documents. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights are not just a collection of words thrown together on parchment. They are ideas born out of the labor, blood, and tears of people who had already lived under the oppression of tyranny and who fought to ensure that no one on our soil would ever again have to endure what they had endured. They birthed the words and vigorously argued and debated over the proper phrasing of each and every passage. For example, they drilled down the wording of our Second Amendment the legal protection over our God-given rights to self-defense to a mere 27 words long. It is both profound and simplistic, impossible to misunderstand, and backed up with an extra fail-safe cover-all clause that we find only in the Second Amendment. That clause is, shall not be infringed because they knew that the rights restrictors would try every trick possible to confound and confuse their intentions. All of the hard work was done generations ago, and each generation since has done their part to build those bridges, and now it's our turn. The work is simple, but never-ending. All we must do in our generation is to learn from the generation before and teach the generation to come. It is at the same time the easiest and the hardest work we will ever encounter. So what are the elements you are using in the bricks of wisdom to build your bridge? As your children and your children's children walk on that bridge, what kind of foundation have you laid for them? What lessons from your father's life, what knowledge from your mother's are you passing along to the future voters, business owners, and the leaders of tomorrow? Bridges take time to build, and we must not fall into the trap of thinking that we will start someday or that there's no great rush. Each lifetime is truly but a blink. Generations go by quickly and we must be diligent to use that time well, not for ourselves, but for the legacy of this nation. That, if the rights restrictors have their say, will be forever changed and unrecognizable in that blink of an eye. So, my friends, as President Reagan tasked us it is up to you and I to protect, 
preserve and restore our rights, which will otherwise vanish and be but a memory. You see, whether we take action or not, a legacy will be handed forward. Will it be one of tyranny or of freedom? Choose wisely, because whichever path our bridges build, it is just one generation away. Dan? Well, I didn't uh, go to the Google machine, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't look on the Facebook. The Facebook. But one generation away mm-hmm. is tomorrow. It's so not... Weird. It's, it's not, so you know, you, you'd think that it's your your kids mm-hmm. or your maybe your grandkids if you want to stretch it out that far. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's tomorrow. The right restrictors are coming at us so hard that it's tomorrow. And so we can't sit and wait. Oh, you know, in a couple more years, I'll, maybe I'll get, you need to be involved right now. I absolutely agree with you. And they've started laying their groundwork how long ago? I mean, just think about, you know, when you were in high school or whatnot, uh, college maybe, where did you first start hearing the messages of, you know, America's really not so great, you know, the founding fathers were just a bunch of slave owners, so we can ignore everything they said. Like, when did that start happening in your life? Where did it come from? Why? Are these people that came here and decided it's not as good as what they thought it was going to be? Or is it people that were born here that have all these rights? Yes. I'm just going to go with yes because right. it's a mixture of both. And, you know, I'm going to give credit to the people who think differently than we do, who I would categorize as rights restrictors, that I think a lot of them are very, very sincere in what they think and what they believe. But, again, I think it was Ronald Reagan that said it's uh, – not uh, what do you say it's just that what they know is is so incorrect you know the <laughs> not dang- saying they don't know a lot it's just what they do know is is wrong the dangerous thing about this is that the um they're doing it with votes they know it's control mm-hmm. we all know that what rights restrictioners are doing it's all about the vote and if they can get the people to vote for them mm-hmm. then they can control mm-hmm. it's all about control Mm-hmm. It's not really about right restriction. It's about control. Mm. So I I would say that um, when the whoever decided, hey, you know what? If we give people stuff for free, they'll vote for us, mm-hmm. and then we can control them. Wow. So sad and true. But what's not sad is the lineup of guests we have, and we only have like two minutes to introduce all of them. Well, then so we better go. hurry up. Then we've got Jen O'Hara, the co-founder and CEO of the successful apparel company girls with guns jen is also the co-host of tv shows girls with guns tv as and is both spirited and passionate about conservation and hunting we're going to be talking to the new surge of women taking part in sport hunting Mm -hmm. we have uh, uh, miles vining Mm -hmm. is a writer and a videographer for the firearms blog for the firearms blog additionally miles is a researcher that focuses on small arms design use and trade within the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asian regions. Miles graduated with a degree in Central Eurasian Studies from India, Indiana University, previously worked in Kabul, 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 and in the United U.S. Embassy, as well as starting up a YouTube channel with a local company called Tech TV Afghanistan. 
We also have Jenny Williams, is the founder of Liberty Bell's Women's Guns Club in Indiana. And our second hour, we have Aki Saint and Ashley Drew. Uh, Aki is a director of legal service and senior attorney, overseeing all Never Again Foundation legal representation. We also have Ashley Drew, is a community impact director of Never Again Foundation. Then our, at the end, our guest is Brandon Tatum, is the director of urban engagement at Turning Point USA. He's a founder, owner at Tatum Motivation. Brandon is a former Tucson police officer, has been a built an, a media following due to his dramatic personality, authentic message, and his natural ability to, to relate to the everyday American. And I'm sorry I had to rush that. That's okay. Uh, we talked a little long on our opener, but I also want to say that Constitution Day is coming up on Monday, September 17th, and we want to arm you with knowledge. We are giving away free pocket constitutions. Anyone who stops by AZ Firearms or Pot of Gold and asks, or they uh, DM us, that's direct message us, on any of our social media platforms will receive a free pocket constitution for two days only on Saturday, September 15th, and Monday, September 17th. This is a great chance to stop in and say hello to Dan and I and our awesome staff, and also to follow us on social media so you will always stay in the know. And our location is in Avondale, 215 East Western Avenue in Avondale, Arizona. Stick around. We have a great show. We also have our Responsibly Armed Citizen Report Mm. and Dan's Commentary. (laughs) (laughs) Stick around. (laughs) And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ. I get it as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection, single items, or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knolltown Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. I'm Rob Morse from the Self-Defense Gun Stories podcast. Each week we share stories about men and women who saved lives. Now I'm asking you to be a lifesaver as well. The Second Amendment Foundation protects our rights to keep and bear arms. They defend our rights in courts from coast to coast. Today, they need our help. Please go to saf.org and join the Second Amendment Foundation. That's saf. Hi folks, I'm Don Kaiser. If you're looking for the biggest little gun shop in the West, look to azfirearms.com. They have 1,100 guns in stock and a knowledgeable staff to help you find just the right firearm for you. azfirearms.com is my nationwide hometown gun shop, and you should make it yours too.
Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, our first guest is Miss Jen O'Hara, the co-founder and CEO of the successful apparel company Girls With Guns. Jen is also the co-host of the TV show Girls With Guns TV and is both spirited and passionate about conservation and hunting. We're going to be talking with her about the new surge of women taking part in the sport of hunting. Welcome to the show, Miss Jen. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You are such a busy person anyway, and right now we've just, at least here in Arizona, we're into dove hunting season, so I am probably catching you <laughs> at a time that you are need to be out in the field. Well, I actually got in about 15 minutes ago from um, shooting my rifle, and <laughs> I was out with a girlfriend this morning um, just making sure that I was dialed before we head out to a hunt in Wyoming with a bunch of our team girls for Girls with Guns. Uh, we're going to be antelope hunting this year, and it's actually going to be my, my first antelope. I've hunted all over the world, but in California, it takes a lifetime to get an antelope tag. So I'm going to head out of state and try and get it. Wow, that's fantastic. Oh, my gosh. Well, I love the idea of you passing on the legacy of hunting to teenagers you mentioned can you kind of expand on that for a second what is that all about sure well you know in california we have to fight for our hunting rights every single day and if they're not trying to take away our guns they're trying to take away our hunting and i'm very passionate about conservation about our second amendment rights and i got to the point where it just seemed like nothing that i did was good enough there wasn't enough time, I mean, unless you wanted to make it your full-time job, which mm-hmm. that isn't my job, um, <laughs> you know, there wasn't enough that I could do to really make a difference in California. And so what I started doing about eight years ago, I'd started volunteering my time uh, for an organization here in Northern California called Kids Outdoor Sports Camp. And um, just recently, as of actually last month, I was asked um, not only to be the, a board member, but to be the executive director as um, our founder is retiring oh, wow. and start um, actually running the organization. And I'm really excited about it. Um, basically, we run about 180 kids through camp every summer at Red Bank Outfitters, uh, which is about 20 minutes from my home. Very good friends of mine, uh, Brian and Shelly Riley. And they have an awesome team. And we put all of these kids through Hunter Safety. And they're able to learn about hunting, fishing, um, how to properly handle firearms, uh, shotguns and rifles are the focus. They can come at nine years old. And then they can go to advanced camp. And even this year, we took eight kids to Africa. And so I planned a trip to Africa. And um, it was a very inexpensive program that I put together. And the kids were able to go for under $5,000 with flights included. Wow. And um, we were able to sponsor three of the kids. And the whole point is to get these kids in the outdoors, involved in hunting and understanding the benefits of it. And then they can make a choice as an adult whether or not they want to hunt. But they're going to have the knowledge of our hunting traditions um, to pass on um, and to make those decisions for themselves instead of just what the media is constantly throwing out there about the negativity about what we do. 
That is so important. And uh, people that aren't involved in the the shooting sports, the hunting sports, they don't really get how much, how many life skills we learn and what we can teach our children. There's, you know, focus, there's responsibility, there's discipline, there's, you know, all these different uh, things that are important throughout your lifetime. And they just are naturally a part of, of those kinds of sports. And uh, I'm so excited. So tell me the name of the the camp again. And that sounds like something that people could possibly donate to or maybe get their own kids involved in. We are a nonprofit and um, it's called Kids Outdoor Sports Camp. And um, it's California based. And it was actually founded here 22 years ago by a lady named Judy Oswald. And I am really, really excited for the direction that we're going and growing and the fact that I can take my passion and pass it on to these kids, um, the people who work at the camp, the counselors and our camp director, they're amazing. And so we just have a really cool area that we're able to do this in. And these kids, after five, six days at camp, they don't want to go home. And they don't have <laughs> cell phones. You know, they're outside. They meet people. They play cards at night and, you know, actually talk to each other instead of text each other it's really cool (laughs) what a novel idea and how so needed that is oh that's so awesome thank you so much for doing that and investing yourself in uh, our nation's future uh, through our kids that's amazing oh I love it so you know you uh, clearly are a woman I can tell by the timbre of your voice right (laughs) Um, and and the name of your your business girls with guns and you, I believe I'm saying this right, you didn't grow up hunting necessarily, um, but now you are leading children, you're leading other women into this amazing world of hunting. And I, I was just curious, how is the trend for women coming into hunting, is it growing in any way? Yeah, absolutely. I think about the past 10 years, we've really seen an uptick in women getting involved in the outdoors and um, you know I grew up on a farm and I was very outdoorsy and um, my dad we rodeoed uh, we raised cattle Um, it was just very much a part of our outdoors I learned how to shoot my first shotgun with my dad I mean I remember that day to this day I can remember that moment of firing my first gun it was actually way too big for me, and I remember falling back into my dad's <laughs> mm, arm. That's a, like, so well, many people's story, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, you know, that's the experience that um, that I had, and we continued, um, you know, being in the outdoors, shooting guns, and but hunting was for my brother and my dad. Mm-hmm. I would tag along, but it was what my dad and my brother did. Now, that was 25 years ago. A lot has changed in the last 25 years, but as a teenager – you know, I got into, you know, my horses and everything was just more for the boys. And um, as I became an adult in my 20s, I started hunting with my ex-husband. And, you know, same thing. I just went along. I loved it, but it, it just wasn't for the girls. And um, when I was in my late 20s, I decided that I wanted to hunt for myself. I was single at the time. Narissa and I, Narissa is my business partner. We became best friends. And so I actually, the ranch where we host Kids Outdoor Sports Camp, Red Bank Outfitters, I started dove hunting out there one year, turkey hunting. 
And then her husband, Narissa's husband, took me on my first deer hunt, and it was blacktail. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember that day we saw about 10 different bucks, and they were all smaller bucks. I didn't know a lot then. I didn't know you know, anything. And he started teaching me about conservation and harvesting a mature animal and letting the younger ones go. And, you know, that was all new to me. Mm -hmm. And basically, you know, when I was younger, we just kind of took whatever we could and, you know, we put meat in the freezer. And so it was a new concept for me, but it was really neat. And I think most women like myself back then, that was, you know, over 10 years ago, you really just want to learn and you want to do it right. And so I took everything that Brian said and taught me in. I wanted, you know, the correct optics. I wanted to make a great shot. And so I just went out. We learned that very first day. I got really spoiled. Um, (laughs) But I shot my first buck. It was a beautiful three-by-three. He was um, mature, probably seven, eight-year-old blacktail. And I caped him out myself. I gutted him. I did all of it. And I just remember that learning that whole experience and um you know learning about aging the meat and then when I got everything home from the butcher I went ahead and started learning how to cook venison because I'd grown up on venison but I I was kind of a tomboy I never really cooked it it's kind of one of my passions now I like to use everything and I've even butchered um, one of my girlfriend's um, bucks for about two years ago so usually I don't have time to do that Mm -hmm. but um it's just a really awesome experience from start to finish mm-hmm. doing it all yourself. And it's very rewarding. And when I take kids out and I mentor them, I usually start with turkey hunting and we start from shooting and learning the basic firearm safety all the way up to at the end when I'm cooking wild turkey and gelatas for them and we're enjoying it together. <laughs> I am very intrigued. I think we can find that recipe somewhere on your your website, uh, Girls yes, with Guns. Yes, it's on our blog. <laughs> the wild turkey yes. enchilada sounds amazing. So the women really that good. are coming in, we're almost out of ta- time, unfortunately, but the women that are coming into the hunting sports, are, do you feel like they're doing it because we are living in such a time where, you know, we really value experience, experiential um things uh, in our world more than you know items that we fill in our houses with or are they the people that are into locavore you know eating more clean what what do you think is kind of the trend I really feel like it's a little bit of both Mm -hmm. I think that hunting is about the experience and a lot of women want that whole experience we're very independent Mm -hmm. and we want to be able to get out there and do it for ourselves and um taking it from start to finish, like I talked about, it's just something that's really important. And being able to pass on that tradition, um, a lot of women, you know, have children, and they want to be able to get out there with their kids and teach them. And but I also see this huge trend of just eating very clean and organic. I mean, I was at Rayleigh's the other day, and they had um, wild turkey, and um, they had venison and little jerky sticks. And that wasn't something you used to see. You always saw beef. Mm-hmm. And so it's just something that I think is definitely on the trend. And I think it's amazing because it really gives a voice for us as hunters um, about how important it is. And I love to go out there and be able to hunt and um, put food on the table and uh, put meat in the freezer for my family. I, I shared with my family two weeks ago when they were up for Labor Day weekend. 
it was like grocery shopping in my freezer. <laughs> I just piled in some wild hogs. I had some moose. I had some elk. And, you know, they took it home with them. That's so awesome. Well, thank you for all you're doing to keep hunting alive and and passing it along as a legacy into the future. I'm going to definitely want to check back in with you and, and talk more in the future about this Kids Outdoor Sports Camp, which I want to encourage everybody to look up. Uh, the website is mykosc.com. Org. And then as we go out, uh, Miss Jen, if you could just tell people how they can follow all the work that you're doing. Well, we have uh, Girls with Guns Clothing as our name of our company. And we're on Instagram as Girls with Guns Clothing. Same for Facebook. And um, you can also find me at GWG Jen or Jen O'Hara Girls with Guns. Very good. Thank you again so much. I will let you get ready for that next hunt and uh, appreciate your time. Jen O'Hara, the co-founder and CEO of Girls With Guns. Bye-bye now. Thank you. Thank you. All right, stick around. We have Miles Vining joining us in just a moment. He's a writer and videographer for the Firearms Blog and just a very interesting person who knows an awful lot about uh, American firearms being found all over the world and, and tracing sort of, you know, how did this gun end up here at this particular place from, from history? Stick around. Lots to come. Don Collier here, letting you know that you won't get fool's gold at Pot of Gold Auction. They're the genuine article. Pot of Gold auctions off guns, coins, jewelry, and antiques of every kind. Stop in and see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd in Avondale, Arizona for some live auction action. Or check them out on the web at potofgoldestate.com. Auctions take place the first and third Tuesday of every month and are full of a great mix of antiques, collectibles, jewelry, guns, and coins. Visit our beautiful air-conditioned showroom off the I-10 at Dysart Road at 215 East Western Avenue in historic downtown Avondale. You will find a friendly and knowledgeable staff, comfortable chairs, and we even serve free birthday cake at every auction. Or bid from the comfort of your home at potofgoldestate.com. Don't miss out. Everything is going, going, gone at potofgoldestate.com. Hey everybody, this is Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan, world champion gunslinger and Hollywood gun coach. In the westerns, there's always a good guy and a bad guy and sometimes the ugly guy. And I always root for the good guy, which is why I'm here to tell you about the good folks over at azfirearms.com. They are straight shooters and always give you the best deal in town. azfirearms.com is the biggest little gun shop in Arizona and have something for every single gun enthusiast. Long guns, pistols, hunting, military, law enforcement, home protection, you name it. And when you've got some guns to sell or trade in and trade up, azfirearms.com are the folks to see. Geez, they bought a cannon once. They are family-owned and operated, friendly staff, courteous, totally reliable. azfirearms.com will give you the best value for your used guns. So stop in, see my friends Dan and Cheryl Todd at azfirearms.com in Old Town Avondale off the I-10 and Dysart Road and tell them Joey Rocket Shoes Dylan sent you. Thanks for sticking around. You are with Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. 
We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. If you've missed any portion of today's show, please go to our website, gunfreedomradio.com. Click the On Demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content, all 126 other episodes that we have posted there. And when you want to put a face with a voice, click the Guest tab and you will find photos and bios and links to the works of all of the guests we've ever had on the show It's a really great resource, and we don't hate it when you spend time there. Well, our next guest is waiting on the line right now, Miles Vining. Miles is a writer and videographer for the Firearms blog. Additionally, Miles is a researcher that focuses on small arms design, use, and trade within the Middle East, North Africa, and Central Asian regions. Miles graduated with a degree in Central Eurasian Studies from Indiana University, previously worked in Kabul at the U.S. Embassy, as well as starting up a YouTube channel with a local company called Tech TV Afghanistan. Very interesting guy. Super excited to have met him in person at the Museum Symposium in Cody, Wyoming a few months ago, and excited to have him on the show now. Miles, are you with us? Yes, I am, Cheryl. Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. So, you you know, and one of the things that's fascinating about you to me is you are so young. You are one of these millennials that everybody always throws shade on, like, well, they don't do anything. They're not interested in anything. And you are the pure antithesis to that. I don't know. It's uphill battle every day. <laughs> so true. <laughs> so I want to ask you, um, you know, you create... A, a research and reporting group, right? I mean, that right there is pretty amazing. And the the research and reporting group you created is to examine small arms from these regions that we talked about in the Middle East and North Africa and Central Asia. And what what drove you? Like, what was the 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 basis of your interest in doing that? So, Cheryl, really, it was. You know, I'm a big gun guy. I've always been interested in firearms and small arms all my life, you know, former Marine as well. And I've always been interested in this region since being there as a Marine and uh, working there as well. And I've noticed that there's a, sort of, there's a sort of trend where we see there's a lot of people interested in the guns in general. And there's a lot of people who know about the region as well, whether that be analysts, uh, you know, knowing about the religion, the politics, history, whatever. But I found that there was nothing in between the two. There was gun guys who looked at AKs in Iraq, and they said, well, this is this kind of AK or whatever. How to get there? Well, I've, I've got no idea. Mm-hmm. And then there were analysts who looked at the same exact picture, and they would say, oh, this is an evil, this evil piece of destruction, whatever. It doesn't matter. <laughs> right. And what I was realizing is that there is actually a fascinating story right in the middle, mm-hmm. where if you look at a lot of the history, you look at a lot of the religion, the politics of the region, the languages and stuff like that, and then you look at the small arms of the region, you end up seeing that the small arms tell the stories of the region and in ways that you don't expect, and they're really interesting in a lot of different ways. So the point of Steel Out Report is essentially bringing people together and creating this sort of area where research and stuff in this it can be explored and can be looked at with looking at you know stuff in primary source documents in Arabic and Pashto and Farsi and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
And so I did fail to mention, first of all, thank you for your service in, in the United States Marine. And I failed to mention that, you know, the research and reporting group has a website that you just mentioned, the SILA report. Am I saying that right? Yes, ma'am. Um, S-I-L-A-H report.com. It's, uh, SILA is the uh, word for weapon in Arabic, in Turkish, in uh, Farsi and Pashto. And that particular spelling is how it is spelled in modern day Turkish. And I think you speak like every one of those languages, right? <laughs> you are just like... <laughs> I, I dabble in them. I wouldn't say I, I speak every one of them fluently. Such an accomplished guy. So why would you say that it's important that we understand the context of the history, the politics, the culture, and religion when we look at these small arms in these regions? Absolutely. So I'll give a very specific example to show exactly what I'm talking about here. So um, the, the current, the current uh, leader of Iran, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, um, you know, he was, given, he was given speeches and he's given his usual, like, death against America, whatever, whatever they're saying. Um, but there was, in doing the speeches, and this was about a year ago, but during one of the speeches, uh, he was up on the podium and he, was, he had a rifle in his hand. Mm-hmm. And that particular rifle was a uh, Chinese SCB, a uh, designated Martian rifle that was imported into Iran, used by the Iranian army. And I read a report in the United States about someone analyzing um, the speech, and I read, you know, this guy saying, Death to America, look, he even has a rifle in his hand, as you say, and it's like, you must really hate us to actually have a weapon there. And so this is what I'm talking about, where if we look at what's going on there, well, in Iran, in Iran specifically, uh, in the Shia tradition of Islam, um, there, there is a, there's a saying by the Prophet Muhammad many years ago that uh, when an imam is up in front of his congregation, he should have the weapon of the day. I mean, you know, back then it was a sword. Mm-hmm. And this is a peculiar case, and it only happens in Iran. No other Muslim country or uh, Muslim congregation does this. But they took that very literally in the 1980s to say, oh, well, I guess the weapon of the day. Well, what are we, what are we issuing our soldiers today? Oh, G3 rifles. Well, I guess that means the guy up in front of the podium has to have a G3 rifle in his hand. <laughs> and it's a weird, it's a weird uh, sort of thing you only see in Iran. And you can look up, you know, Iranian um, imams in front of their congregations. You'll see pistols. You'll see G3s. You'll see Mausers. You'll see all sorts of weapons that they're holding. And it harkens back to that phrase. And it's a very peculiar piece that only exists in Iran. So take this example. One, you, if you didn't realize that history and the significance of that and why it's done and how it's done in Iran, looking at a speech by the Ayatollah Khamenei with a rifle in his hand saying, death to America, one conclusion could be, yeah, you really hate this because he has a rifle in his hand. However, a more correct conclusion would be this is actually something done by imams all over Iran. It's actually very common, and I've written, I've written about this on the website, and you can see pictures of imams all over the place with it. And that's just sort of an example of what I'm talking about here. And I realize, you know, there's a lot of rhetoric about, like, oh, understanding this, understanding that, way to peace, whatever. That's not what this is about whatsoever. It's not that I'm trying to understand our way to peace here. It's that I'm trying to say, look, there's another avenue of small arms in these places that we aren't looking at, and you aren't seeing it in the proper context of the time. That is so. so interesting. And, you know, it's there. It's like that for so many things. You know, I'm constantly I'm encouraging people, please don't take my word for it or whatever it may be. 
read the Constitution for yourself. Don't let the the latest talking head on the news interpret for you what's going on in the world. Do your own research and your own work. And this is right in line with that. You know, so often others misinterpret things sometimes on purpose because they maybe have, you know, something to gain from people being fearful or confused or led down the wrong path. And, you know, even if you you study this and you still come to the same conclusion, uh, why he's holding the rifle, at least you did the work for yourself, right? That's, yeah, and we very much agree with, you know, what you're talking about there. Have an independent analysis of the world around you. Absolutely. And then we have tools at our disposal, like the SELA report, that, you know, you are another uh, layer of information. You've done the research yourself. You've lived in these areas. You've worked in these areas. You've talked to the actual living, breathing human beings that occupy the space. Um, and I, I think that that is so important for us to constantly be finding new and trustworthy avenues of information. Um, so where we met, you and I and Dan, was at a museum symposium where uh, museum curators came from all over the world, really, to sit down and talk together about, you know, kind of the, the problem and the opportunities of trying to display guns in museums. There's so much politics surrounding guns. You know, there are laws involved with, with even owning guns or having guns on your premises that aren't involved if you have like Lincoln's chair or something. Um, yeah. And so one of the things I wanted to have you speak about is how can individuals, organizations, and museums get involved when it comes to properly researching and do properly documenting small arms from this particular region where there just does seem to be so much mis information, misunderstanding, a lot of heated emotions, and those sorts of things. Yeah, well, thank you very much for asking me that. That is a really, really uh, important question. Um, the first thing I should, the first thing I would absolutely say is, you know, my advice to museums is the first thing is please, you know, seek out and ask. And previously, you know, one of the problems with that is ask who. Mm. And that's kind of the point of CELA report existing. It's like, well, guess what? You can ask us. Mm -hmm. I will. Um, I wrote about this on one of the outlets I write for the firearm blog, but I'll give you a perfect example of this. Um, I was recently at Springfield Armory National Storage Site. This is not the uh, Springfield Armory Incorporated in uh, Illinois, the modern firearms company. This is the um, uh, government national park uh, in Massachusetts. And I was in the reference collection, and I was looking at arms um, from Turkey. Uh, these were uh, Peabody Martinis that were used by the Ottoman Empire in the late 1800s. And I was going through them, and we were looking at the, we were, the, you know, the staff was great. By the way, the staff at Springfield Army, great people. If you're ever interested in arms researching, historic stuff, awesome people to work with, 100%. Alice McKenzie is the curator there. Um, but we were looking through the database and looking at the old Springfield Army archives for these guns that we were researching. And in one of the archives, what we found was one of the guns, uh, one of the rifles, the serial number, for that rifle in the actual database that Springfield Armory had was listed as PTIP. And if you look carefully, if you looked at the Turkish numerals on um, the, the right side of the gun, the serial number, they were in Turkish. 
And what had happened was 100 years ago, when they were entering the gun into the record, they said, hey, what's the serial number on this? And the guy who obviously was there looked at it and said, well, I can't read Turkish. So those letters kind of look like the letters T-E-E-T-I-P. <laughs> and if you look at it, yeah, it does look like the letters T-E-E-T-I-P in English. But that's not what it is. The, the serial number was something else. It was, um, I forget the actual number, but it was, it was, a, it was an actual Turkish number. But this, it's kind of comical when you look at it. It's like, yeah, someone, you know, put in what an approximation of that letter was in English into an actual database. That is hilarious. An, that, yeah, I, I know, right? It's kind of comical there. But then if you want to blow it up and look at a larger picture, you can actually run into some real issues with this kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, which is you're talking about, you know, displaying stuff um, and that sort of thing. And it just gets bigger from there. But this is sort of looking at on a small level. And I'll give great credit to uh, Springfield Armory because Alex McKenzie was there, and he said, all right, so we got a discrepancy in our system, not of our own fault in mm-hmm. the 2000s, but of 100 years ago. Let's go through every you know, Turkish rifle that we have, and let's write down the correct numbers. So we sat there for you know, an afternoon, Springfield Armory, and we had the correct numbers entered into the database. That is such a cool story. I love that. Well, we have to run, unfortunately, but we're going to have to check back in because this is so fascinating to me. And I think that it's it's important for people to have a better and more clear understanding of, uh, you know, the other cultures that we share this globe with. Right. Uh, and you are you're a good interpreter of those things. Uh, so, Miles Vining, thank you so much. And as we go out, please tell folks how they can uh, follow more of what you do with both the firearms blog and with the SELA report. Um, yeah, so, you know, you can help us out on, on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, we have social media presence. Um, but honestly, what I would say is if you have a question, shoot it towards us. You know, if you have, if you have an odd gun or something weird lying around that's been a while, you think it's from Egypt or something, and if there's, there's any form of Arabic on it or Farsi, send it to us. We'll translate that for you. We'll tell you what's on that thing. If you have a question about this stuff, I know... There's probably other servicemen and women who are out there listening to this, and they've come across all sorts of stuff in their deployments in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, all sorts of weird stuff out there. You know, we have a question, you're a picture, send it in to us, and we'll let you know, hey, it's probably this or it's probably that. Or what I really like is I actually have no clue what's going on in this picture. Thank you so much for sending it to me because now we have something um, in the future to go off of. I love it. I love it so much. All right, and so they can find you at the SILA Report, which is S-I-L-A-H and the word report.com. I know you must have a contact us um, link on there. And uh, yeah. thank you yeah. so much. Miles Vining of the Firearms Blog and the SILA Report. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much. I'll see you later. Bye-bye. All right. Stick around. We still have Jenny Williams just around the corner. She is the founder of the Liberty Bells Women's Gun Club out of Indiana. Stick around. And we're back with Cheryl Todd talking about the huge gun buying event at azfirearms.com. Oh, AZ, I get it, as in Arizona. Yes, but... Oh, or AZ, as in everything from A to Z. Well, yes, that too. But what I'm telling everybody about is that azfirearms.com is having a huge gun buying event to buy your old firearms all across Arizona and everything from A to Z. That's great news. See, my grandpa left me an old shotgun and it's just sitting on a closet shelf at home. So I can bring that into azfirearms.com and sell my gun. 
fun? Absolutely. azfirearms.com buys, sells, trades, and even consigns your old firearms. Any vintage, any style, military, long guns, handguns, hunting, or home protection. Single items or entire collections. We offer the highest value for your used firearms in a safe and friendly environment, staffed by knowledgeable people. azfirearms.com is Knoll Town Avondale off I-10 and Dysart Road. Come on down to the huge gun buying event every day through the end of the month at the biggest little gun shop in Arizona. And for all your firearm and ammo needs, visit azfirearms.com. Welcome back to Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. Well, this show is also a proud member of the Self-Defense Radio Network. Find out more and check out all of the great content at selfdefenseradio.net. Well, we are excited to talk to our next guest, Miss Jenny Williams. She is the founder of the Liberty Bells Women's Gun Club out of Indiana, which offers ladies a welcoming, safe environment to be able to learn to shoot and well-researched information in regards to shooting, pistol, rifle, shotgun, and many other forms of self-protection. Welcome to the show, Miss Jenny. Thank you. And so the Liberty Bells, that is so cute because it's spelled B-E-L-L-E-S, you know, uh, you know, hearkening back to another, another age. I absolutely love it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So one topic I really wanted to uh, talk about is how do we, I mean, maybe not just get women engaged at the, the range and coming out to the range and getting training, but keeping them engaged because we are, cons- all of us, I think, are in an age of, you know, shiny, squirrel, you know, so many distractions <laughs> pulling and tugging on us all the time. What, what are your thoughts on that? I absolutely agree. Um, I think that just women shooters in general, um, just being able to get them engaged, get them to the range, like you said initially, um, but really try and get them falling in love with it to the fact that we can then start fighting for their time to try and really um, have them understand the importance that um, a firearm isn't just a magic talisman that they can just toss in their purse or toss on their body mm. after they take one class. Um, some people feel that they're pretty much Navy SEALs after that. And <laughs> I think in hundreds of hours of firearms training and I'm just, there's days where I'm like, gosh, I don't know if I have the skills or that I would be ready to deal with this type of situation. Mm. Um, so anytime that we can try and figure out exactly what would really click to be able to fight for that small amount of time that we can get women to the range. Um, The one thing I try to really focus on is the fact that, especially if they're there for self-protection, that if they're not there for their families and they don't have the skills that they need to protect their families, who's going to be there for their families if something were to happen and they don't have those skills to be able to defend themselves or their loved ones. But it's just traumatic that we have to go to that level. But I just think that women are naturally more inclined to be more protectors, providers, life givers. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's probably one of the reasons that it's just such a difficult decision for a lot of ladies to make. You know, that is so true. And so once once you've got them engaged, uh, how Mm -hmm. how do you encourage, you know, 
make this part of your life make this part of your schedule this constant um, training and because shooting is uh, a skill and a skill that can both be improved and also diminish over time if we're not practicing it right absolutely absolutely um, I know some people are more inclined towards things than I am, um, but for me, I know shooting is very much a perishable skill. Um, over the winter months, I very much saw that very quickly. Um, one of the things we do try to do is we have as many different types of events scheduled. If it's not something through our direct club, um, for we do have two scheduled range days during the summer months when we have longer days. We have a Saturday range day in the morning. We have March through October. We have evening range days scheduled once a month to try and have a little more accountability, kind of like have accountability buddies mm -hmm. um, like you would at the gym. Um, and we also put out any and everything that we can find related to gun shooting, anything um, self-defense, anything like that. We try and make sure we communicate those activities um, to the group so that way it's forefront, they can see it, and it tries to give them the most availability for their busy schedules to try and fit something in if it's something that they're interested in. Yeah, I think that that's so smart that you have been intuitive about, well, when could women be available? You know, you've already kind of factored that into your scheduling, and I think that's so important. Absolutely. So why did you start a standalone club instead of perhaps maybe starting a chapter of a, a national organization that already exists? Great question. Um, main reason was the group that was um, we were informally getting together, we looked at some different options to become part of national organizations, to be able to just kind of keep to ourselves, start our own club. Um, ultimately, the, the people that were involved in that decision, we all made a vote to pretty much go on our own. Main reason was because we have a lot of flexibility. We're not held accountable um, to anyone. We don't have to go through any corporate red tape. If we want to do anything, we have a lot of flexibility in regards to being able, who we want to have in, what products we want to feature. We're not tied down to any sponsorship agreements mm -hmm. that might put a bias into, you know, what we're presenting or how we're presenting something. So pretty much we have full card launch to do whatever, if any of the members want specific information, we can, if we can get the resources, we can have a meeting on that topic. So it gives us a lot of flexibility to be able to do that. That is so important. And, you know, it's a frustrating thing for those of us that, you know, I, I belong to the NRA. I value what they do. Uh, you know, I'm a lifetime member. But there are some people out there that they've really only heard the surface thing about, oh, they're the evil gun lobby. And so if there's some connection to the NRA, they immediately discount whatever it is that's connected instead of doing their their due diligence and research. And yeah. and so I, I think, you know, unfortunately, that's the case. But I think you're smart that you have um, allowed your club to have its own reputation and you kind of live, live, live or die, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. The merits of your own work. That's that's really important. So you have, you were talking about these classes that you have and speakers that come out and that sort of thing. How do you pick your, your topics and your guests and, and the kinds of things that you talk about? Um, pretty much any of the girls at any time, if there's something that they have specific information on, because one of the challenges that we do have is we do have all levels of um, experience within our club. The majority of the club is um, 
less experienced, but we do have some ladies that are a lot more experienced. So we have to make sure we keep it interesting for everybody and not just have the same old thing all the time. Um, so if any of the girls have any specific questions, um, I will do everything in my power to find either I'll research it personally if I have to or try and find someone that's more of a subject matter expert in regards to whatever they're speaking about. When it comes to anything like laws, um, we actually had one of our guests was um, Clark County um, prosecuting attorney. We invited him to speak to our group so that way he can very clearly, luckily he's too, uh, very pro 2A, so he can very clearly address more things like legal concerns where I don't want to get, I don't want to have the liability to have some kind of incorrect or misconstrued <laughs> information. Right. Um, like, don't quote much, me, you know, mm -hmm. listen Absolutely. to the expert. Absolutely. But if there's anything that comes up that I see, I've gotten guests all over the place. I've had in my regular day job, someone just casually mentions that they had a guest speaker that was a former female FBI agent. And I went back to the organization that she was a speaker of and hunted her down. It took about six to eight months to schedule her, but we were able to bring her in, um, that was very fascinating. We've had canine demonstrations from the county. Um, the, the local county sheriff's department is very um, into different programs for the public, so we've taken full advantage of any and everything that we can do, anything from gangs and drug presentations, active shooter presentations. Um, SWAT team, hit, um, some of the SWAT members have come in with their gear and shared some stories with us. So any and everything that might be interesting, because I pretty much figure if it's interesting to me, I would think that it would be interesting to most of the other ladies. I love it. Um, and like I said, the feedback of the club as well. That's fantastic. We are out of time, but before we go, please tell folks how they can follow the work that you're doing there, because it sounds fa If I was closer, I would definitely come check out those topics and those guests, and I know people are going to be interested. Absolutely. Um, of course, it could be found on Facebook at Liberty Bells Gun Club. Um, we're the ones that are in southern Indiana, right outside of Louisville, Kentucky. And another alternative is to go to our website, uh, webpage, which is www.thelibertybells, and that's B-E-L-L-E-S dot org. Awesome. Thank you so much, Miss Jenny Williams of the Liberty Bells Women's Gun Club out of Indiana. Thank you so much for stopping by. Not a problem. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. All right, stick around. We still have an entire hour to come of Gun Freedom Radio. And our next two guests are Aki Stant and Ashley Drew, both with the Never Again Foundation for Legal Representation. Stick around and find out what that's all about. When you're working hard to beat debt, you've got to think of creative ways to get your income up. Here's an idea. Sell some stuff at auction. Start with locally owned and operated potofgoldestate.com. The owners, Dan and Cheryl Todd, have over 60 years of combined experience in selling antiques, collectibles, guns, coins, and jewelry. And over their many years in business, they've earned the trust of thousands of people just like you. Whether you're saving for a rainy day emergency fund or paying down debt, let potofgoldestate.com help you get the extra cash you need. Potofgoldestate.com will purchase your items outright, or you can consign them to their twice-a-month online auction. 
Pot of Gold's nationwide online auction is a great place to get top dollar for your collectibles. They specialize in everything from antiques, coins, high-end collectibles, to cars, boats, guns, and more. Get started today at potofgoldestate.com or visit them off I-10 and Dysart Road in Historic Avondale for some live auction action. For more information, visit potofgoldestate.com. That's potofgoldestate.com. 